I'm Gloria Figueroa, and this is Radia Nahodas. Today's episode is a special collaborative episode with Stories from El Salvador. Stories from El Salvador is a platform that brings stories of hope, courage, compassion, migration, love, resilience, solidarity, humor, and how awesome Salvadorians are. On today's episode, we will be hearing some of these stories. I'd like to thank Clelia Rodriguez, the founder of Stories from El Salvador, and to the people who submitted their stories. Thank you. If you're interested in submitting your own story to Stories from El Salvador, you can visit them on Instagram at Stories from El Salvador, or you can visit them on their website, which is www.storiesfromelsalvador.com. So, without further ado, here are the stories. Hello, my name is Cynthia Gutierrez. This is recorded on January 26, 2019. As a first-generation Nicaragüense Salvadoreña, I've had to learn my ancestral history from the most unexpected sources. My grandfather migrated to San Francisco, California in 1986. My grandmother and mother came two years later. Growing up in the Excelsior District, I didn't hear many stories about El Salvador from my family. Sometimes it felt like my closest connection was eating a pupusa at Reina's. I wanted to connect in a deeper level. But who am I to ask my grandfather to share the pain of his war-torn region? He wanted to create a new life and finally find moments of joy. I speak from a place of privilege to be able to attend a university where I was exposed and surrounded by other Central Americans. The percentage of Central Americans in higher education is not as high as we should have it. We are few, but we are mighty. This is my love note to my Salvi Central American comrades. Surrounded by the Santa Cruz trees, I became a little closer to knowing who my people were and see how unapologetically proud we are of our roots. I didn't have to hold shame around not knowing my motherland's brutal history. You graciously taught me and learned beside me during that entire process. Thank you. You became my chosen family. One of my fondest memories growing up were my semi-regular summer trips to Santa Ana, El Salvador. My first trip, I can only recount through other people's stories. I was around three years old. My parents sent me on this trip with an aunt. Um, I didn't want to stay at my grandparents' home because they were virtual strangers to me. Uh, my grandmother cried. I visited again when I was six with my mom this time. And as all picky six-year-olds go, I refused to eat the food presented to me. And my grandmother cried again. At 12, 13, and 14, I visited back-to-back -back and remember my trips to El Torre Molino, Los Chorros, San Salvador, La Puerta del Diablo. Considering all the fun I had, I can still remember missing home in LA and missing my hot Cheetos and processed 2% milk, missing my empty and meaningless summers before the beginning of school. Um, at 16 years old, uh, I was very angsty and wasn't particularly excited to be in El Salvador. Um, 
My grandmother was, you know, in my head, smothering me too much, pressuring me to eat more tamales, more pupusas. I had left a boyfriend behind and I was worried that, you know, what this distance would do to our relationship. I was just very stupid as all teenagers go. I didn't realize that years later, this trip would hold one of my most treasured memories. It was on this trip that my still healthy grandfather told me stories, stories about his pursuit of my grandmother, how he left El Salvador to work on the Panama Canal for a few years, how he came back to El Salvador with finally something to offer my grandmother, how they married and purchased their first home as well as the finca across from it, how my father was born in that home with no electricity, no running water, and how my dad's sisters followed shortly after. My grandfather and I spent hours and hours talking. I was enthralled. No matter how angsty I've been in my life, I've always enjoyed a good story. He talked to me about art and about Salvadoran literature. He advised that I read books by Roque Dalton. He told me stories about the Civil War and how it changed everyone's life forever. How he feared for his only son, my father, and would wait for him to get home from the tire shop he worked at every night. How my grandfather was the only supportive force when my dad decided to leave home, which consisted of a wife, my mom, and his one-year-old son, my brother. Um when he wanted to leave home uh, for the U.S. because I assume my grandfather knew that what would wait for them in the U.S. couldn't possibly be worse than what was happening at home. Um, my grandfather told me stories of the two years my brother spent with my grandmother and my grandfather because my mom followed my dad to the U.S., and my mom made the hard decision of leaving my brother behind before sending for him two years later. My grandfather had a stroke a few years ago, um, and he never fully recovered. Uh, he's been dead, dead for a few years now, and now that I'm older, I fully appreciate that I had these moments with him. This man who seemed to have lived so many lives was able to share some of it with me, and now I'm ultimately sharing it with you guys. This year, I went to El Salvador again after a long absence and was able to see it with new eyes. It was bittersweet because I was so thrilled to be there and to experience this booming country without my rose-colored glasses that so many American-born Salvadorians wear sometimes. Um, but I was missing the man who made me fall in love with this country in the first place. But with everything that I did, I felt him there beside me, as corny as it sounds. I went to the Marte in San Salvador to see exhibits by great artists like Cesar Menendez and Fernando Llor. I was able to hike the Santana Volcan and revel in all of Santana's beauty. I was able to ride around a boat in El Lago de Cuatepeque. I was able to let my grandmother spoil me finally with all the delicious food and I gained about 10 pounds in the process. <laughs> I will always treasure my time in El Salvador. 
I might not have been born there, but it's embedded in my identity and in my heart. In the same vein of chasing these stories and these memories from my grandfather's tales, I'm finally planning a trip to Panama to see the Panama Canal where he worked all those years ago. Thanks to Manuel de Jesus Granados, I'm navigating my way through my family's story and I really love it. Thank you, Abuelito. I love you and I miss you. Hi, so my name is Tomas and I'm currently an undergraduate thesis writer at Wesleyan University. And I'm really trying to focus my thesis on the Salvadoran Civil War. And so I really wanted to, in this interview, talk to my mom about, to my mom about her experiences with um, military officials or in general with the right-wing government, right? And she had quite a deal to say. I think the uh, actual interview that I had with her was about an hour long. And today I'm sharing with you guys about 10 minutes of that hour-long interview. So without any further ado, here is my mom and her stories. Porque la guerra empezó como los, en 1980, ¿verdad? It comenzó, uh, de hecho, en el 78, pero se mm -hmm. hizo más fuerte en el 80, cuando, mm -hmm. en el año que mataron a Monseñor Romero. Ajá. Pero la guerra inició en el 78, okay. con, cuando se comenzaron a crear agrupación, le llamaban agrupaciones de tumultos, porque la gente de, 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 de escasos recursos comenzó a, a agruparse. A grupos grupos de, de oposición contra el gobierno. El gobierno era muy derechista y era militar nada más. Y ya se estaba cansado de, de, de tanto abuso de poder. Y fue cuando comenzaron a agruparse las personas de escasos recursos en El Salvador y los estudiantes de la Universidad Nacional. Fue cuando se comenzó a, a hacer mítines. ¿Qué es eso? Mítines son meetings, reuniones. Ah, ah perdón. <risas> en español le llaman mítines. Mítines son mítines. Um, se, re, se reunían, porque yo era muy joven, yo no participaba en eso. Mi papá sí participó. Se uh -huh. reunían en... Um, en la plaza, la plaza Libertad, en diferentes áreas de, de San Salvador se reunía a escuchar a, a, a la gente que estaba opuesta al gobierno, uh -huh. a escuchar los puntos de vista, a decir por qué queríamos que dejaran de existir el gobierno derechista que, que estaba al mando por muchos años, ¿no? sí. que siempre había sido conformado por coroneles, uh -huh. no, había, no eran personas civiles. Y creo que fue en el año 78 cuando sucedió la primer masacre, uh -huh. los estudiantes de la Universidad Nacional salieron a protestar pacíficamente contra sí. el abuso de poder y el gobierno envió tanquetas y el ejército a, re, a repelerlos y muchos de ellos fueron aplastados por las tanquetas. Muchos de ellos al llegar al, a una puente, al puente que está frente al costado poniente quizás del, del seguro social no no tenían otra otra excusa más que saltar el puente y, y morir muchos de ellos murieron muchos de mis amigos que ya estaban en ese entonces en la universidad nacional se refugiaron en el hospital del seguro social y para poder salir del, con vida los doctores del hospital les prestaron gabachas para que se disfrazaran de doctores y como siendo doctor tenías en aquel entonces el, te daban había un poco de respeto para ellos. Así salieron del hospital vestidos de doctores para poder llegar a sus hogares. Uh -huh. Fue un día muy difícil. Recuerdo que mi papá, yo estaba ahí en el Seguro Social con mi papá a la hora de, de este de Shonge. Uh 
porque mi papá tenía consulta médica y se cerró el hospital porque no podían mantener a la gente ahí por todo lo que se estaba dando. Y mi papá y yo salimos en busca de, de llegar a casa, pero nos costó todo el día de llegar del centro de San Salvador a Ciudad uh -huh. Delgado, que caminando a un, a un, a un a paso normal quizás te tardás hora y media y nosotros nos salgamos todo el día porque todas las calles donde llegábamos estaban las tanquetas atravesadas y los policías apuntándote para dejar para no dejarte pasar y todo aquel que corría por el miedo al porque uno se corta uno lo que quiere es esconderse correr y salir de ahí uh -huh. y era lo peor que podías haber hecho mi papá me recuerdo cuando yo le dije corramos y empecé a correr me detuvo me dice no nos van a matar y tenía razón yo vi cómo mataron a un montón de gente que por el temor reaccionaban corriendo y pensaban que eran guerrilleros y los asesinaron a sangre fría porque la gente no, no llevaba nada. Niños, mujeres embarazadas, ancianos, todo aquel que se pasaba al lado de ellos corriendo era pues, ametrallado. Por... Me recuerdo cómo mi papá, nos, cada vez que disparaban, nos, met, nos metíamos así como entre, ¿cómo le llaman? En la, las orillas de, de la puerta que tienen esos, esos portales, ahí nos cubríamos para que no las balas solo pasaban de largo por nosotros. Al final logré, logramos salir del centro de San Salvador escudados por uh, la Cruz Roja salvadoreña. Si no me equivoco, sí. fue la masacre del 78, que Ajá. fue contra los alumnos de la Universidad Nacional. ¿Esa fue la única o hubo más? No, hubieron muchos más, hubieron muchos más, Ajá. Um, porque se dieron muchos ataques. Yo me recuerdo en el 80, um, yo estaba graduándome de bachiller en ese año y uh -huh. terminé el año lectivo por gracia de Dios porque muchas veces um, estábamos en clase cuando yo estudiaba por la tarde y estábamos en clases cuando los ataques comenzaban y el, lastimosamente en el colegio lo que hacían era sacarnos y así que había que caminar debajo de las balas tirándonos al suelo cada vez que escuchábamos que venían cerca de nosotros um, Igual, um, yo me recuerdo llevar a Yesenia, a mi sobrina, al colegio, porque ella estudiaba por la mañana y más de alguna vez, eh, eh, a veces era nada más un carro que estaba haciendo una bulla como de una metralleta, pero como uno ya tenía el temor, ya la vivencia, uno no recapacitaba y lo primero que hacía era tirarse al suelo. Y después cuando veía, oh, no era nada, era nada más un carro. Pero to era todo eso el que uno viene arrastrando el, el temor y el miedo de, to de todo lo que ha vivido. Uh -huh. De ahí, recuerdo el año en que mataron a Monseñor Romero, en 1980, fue el año en que yo me estaba graduando de bachiller. Uh -huh. Igual, um, mucha gente que quiso ir al, 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 al velorio, al, al, a la catedral, uh -huh. igual tuvo represalias, asesinaron a muchos porque querían ir a participar de eso, porque él no era bien visto. Uh -huh. Hubieron matanzas antes de, de matar a Monseñor Romero. Um, sí. Uh, los hermanos de izquierda de, de la oposición se tomaban las iglesias mm. y, y con toda la gente que estaba ahí en misa. Y una, una que fue muy difícil fue en la iglesia del Rosario. Um, los, los de izquierda se llegaron a, a tomar la iglesia y la guardia llegó a quererlo sacar a la fuerza asesinando a quien fuera y mataron a muchos, mataron a muchísima gente que no tenía nada que ver y 
y los de izquierda que lograron encerrarse en la iglesia, mantuvieron ahí a sus hermanos ya fallecidos con ellos hasta que Monseñor Romero llegó para poder um, hablar con el gobierno y decirles que, que cesaran y que dejaran salir a la gente que estaba ahí encerrada. Uh -huh. Y él logró entrar y ya olía mucho, olía feo porque ya estaban descompuestos los cadáveres, sí. y muchos de esos cadáveres fueron enterrados adentro de la iglesia, en la iglesia del Rosario, que está en el centro de San Salvador. Hay muchas cruces en, en, sobre el, um, el techo de la iglesia, porque ahí, ahí enterraron a, a los que murieron en combate, porque uh -huh. no había otra manera de sacarlos, porque el ejército no los dejaba salir. Querían matar a todo el que estaba adentro. Uh -huh. Yeah, y uno vivía con el temor. Yo recuerdo en ese mismo año, en el 80, yendo a la casa de una compañera a hacer trabajos que nos habían dejado en la escuela, en el colegio. Sí. Y ver que la guardia, porque ella vivía cerca de la Guardia Nacional y la Guardia Nacional estaba ahí. Y uno de ellos me dijo, parecía... Y, y, y uno siente, o sea, te hablan por la espalda. Tú, tú sientes que te van a matar. Uh -huh. Porque tú no sabes quién es el que te dice, parecía... Y, y solo me dijeron, parecía, y yo me paré, y subo, levante las manos, y levanté las manos, y mis cuadernos se cayeron, y empezaron a revisar los cuadernos, y después solo me dijeron, tonteras, solo para enamorarlo a uno, uh -huh. y me dijeron, ah, está libre, puede irse, pero yo de ahí, me recuerdo que yo ya no me fui para donde mi compañera, me regresé para la casa, porque sin caminar podía del miedo, porque sí. uno, uno tiene miedo de que lo asesinen, y uno sí. no hace nada. Sí. Tengo también la memoria viva de una vez que venía de Ciudad Delgado con mi mamá de comprar el mercadito y, y ver cuando la Guardia Nacional paró uno de tantos buses, porque paraban los buses a diestra y siniestra para poder reclutar a los jóvenes, a los hombres, muchachos jóvenes que iban en los buses. Uh -huh. Y ver ese día que, que reclutaron al hijo de mi maestra de inglés uh -huh. y que él llorando le decía que, que, que no se lo llevaran, que era el hijo único de su mamá. Y nosotros vimos eso y mi mamá y yo fuimos a la casa de mi maestra a decirle que había, habían, se habían llevado a su hijo. Y ella fue una de las pocas madres que lograron recuperar a sus hijos porque muchos de ellos no se les permitía volver. Los mandaban a, a, a pelear, uh -huh. a matar gente. Pero mi sí. maestra, la señora Copelia de Morán, que en paz descanse porque falleció hace como dos años, ella logró que le dieran a su hijo. Uh -huh. era, era su único Hijo, no tenía más y quizás por eso se lo dieron. We've always told our son that Salvadorans are humble, that they are hardworking, that they are brave. Today we told our son that Salvadorans are saints. Hello, my name is Orlando Flores Morales and I want to share a quick version of the biography of Mayan Violet. In 1925, Violeta de las Mercedes Flores Gutierrez was born in Sonsonate. Early in her young life, she was sent to boarding school, quote-unquote, for better education. She studied at Colegio Bautista in Santa Ana. After high school graduation, her family moved to San Salvador. She went to Universidad Nacional, where she obtained a degree as a social worker. As she established her career, She found a word to work with the First Lady of the Republic of El Salvador, Berta Rivera, wife of the President Julio Rivera. Violet's hard work was rewarded 
when she was given the honor to represent El Salvador in an America's Social Workers Summit and tour. She flew to Washington, D.C., where she met representatives of each country of the American continent. She was honored to meet and have dinner with the then-President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. After the visit to the USA, the group traveled to the capital of each country of the American continent, and they shared challenges, ideas, networked, and bonded. In 1965, then married to Dr. Carlos Tovar from Aguachapan, Violet and Carlos moved to Los Angeles. They settled in the Silver Lake area. Their goal was for Carlos to obtain past the medical doctor test and practice in the U.S. From arrival and during the many years of Carlos studying, Violet, then in her 40s, tried to incorporate as a social worker. She was sent to work to East LA because she spoke Spanish. She quickly found she could not understand the social issues of the Mexican-Americans, and she was also rejected because of her nationality. Violet, not knowing what to do and having the burning desire to work in order to bring income to the home while her husband is studying, decided to switch careers. She grabbed the LA Times and saw a job opening. She applied and she got it. Violet became a janitor at White Memorial Medical Hospital. She quickly stood up because she was used to going to work dressed up in heels and with makeup. Doctors look at her different because she not only dressed different, but she also took pride of her work. Her janitorial work was stellar. One day, a doctor approached her and asked her, what's your story? Violet told him, and he recommended for her to take classes and to seek a job in the medical field. Violet also heard that in the future, White Memorial was going to focus in cardiovascular medicine. She went to UCLA and got a certificate as a cardiovascular technician. When White Memorial opened their cardiovascular lab, one of a kind in the United States, job postings went up internally, and voila, Violet got a job as a cardiovascular technician. She worked at the hospital for 27 years until she retired. Violet had one daughter. Violet was also the third of 11 siblings. She was very close with her siblings. In the 1970s, Violet and her family bought a house in Alhambra where they settled. Violet's home became the hub for her family to stay when we came to Los Angeles on vacation and visit. When the war in El Salvador got very dangerous in the 80s, many of us were sent to the USA for safety. At age 15, amongst others, I ended up moving from El Salvador and living at Violet's house. In addition to treating me like her son, Violet, my dad's older sister, taught me the value of higher education, work ethics, reading the Bible, honoring God, being kind to others, serve the less fortunate, love family, love my heritage, especially pupusas, respect the United States as the host country that we have been allowed to live safely and prosperous. In summary, at age 40, Violet migrated to another country, learned a new language, started a new career, prospered, raised more kids than she birthed. At age 60, she asked me to teach her how to drive, and against my best judgment, I did. She drove for 15 years. We lost Violet four years ago to a horrible battle with Alzheimer's. Although she is no longer with us, her teachings, love, kindness, drive, and determination is embedded in our hearts. I'm just a salvi by the sea.
My name is Ira Maluska. I am the creator of Central American Art and Beauty, and I am from a small town located in Southern California called San Pedro. San Pedro is the town where my parents came to settle in when they first arrived from El Salvador. This is the town where they went to school, met, fell in love, got married, and even held their wedding reception at. I had always wondered why my parents came to love and appreciate this beach town community. My mother tells me that when she first arrived here, she knew instantly she had to stay. She even recalls seeing Flor de Isote growing from some of the houses around here. The same goes with my father. He fell in love with the beach nature of this town. Growing up, I didn't get to know a lot of Central Americans, let alone Salvadorians. The few Salvadorians that I did come to know, I never really built a bond with. Every time I would try to ask them, you know, where is your family, what part of El Salvador is your family from, there was always a hesitation, or they just never really proclaimed their Salvadorian roots. Instead, I always found a community and friendship through the Guatemalan and Costa Rican um, groups here in, in San Pedro. Um, but even even though I didn't get to create build a bond with Salvadorians here, I always felt represented and loved through Guatemalans and Costa Ricans here. They became sort of my extended family. Um, but even within that, I have never denied my Salvadorian roots. I had never been made to feel ashamed of where my family is from. Instead, my parents have always taught me from a young age to appreciate where you're from. They would always tell me if someone identifies you as Mexican, politely correct them and tell them, no, your family is from El Salvador. Um, although I did feel kind of lonely being one of the few Central American kids here, um, there was some times where I would like feel the xenophobia from the Mexican kids around here. Yeah, I know when it would come time to the World Cup, there would be a lot of trash talking and call and say really negative things to specifically Salvadorians, but, you know, to the Central American community in general. But um, I never really saw too much tension between the Salvadorian and, and Mexican kids. But the few times that I did, it got really ugly. Um, but even within that, I never, I've never denied who I am. I always, I always would have liked to have created a bond with the Salvadoran community here, but, you know, it's okay. Instead, that came later in life. Um, over time, I've seen San Pedro definitely have grown a Central American community here especially the Guatemalan and Costa Rican population. Um, I remember there was a, one time when I was in high school, there was a new Persian restaurant. And, the, and I come to find out that the owners are actually um, Persian and Guatemalan. And that was really interesting for me. I think through the Guatemalan and Costa Rican population here, I've been able to see the diversity in from the isthmus and over time i got to see more costa rican family businesses pop up as well and it wasn't until maybe 
five, six years ago that I started to see more pupuserias open up in this town, which has always made me more excited to see, to, to know that our community is growing here and we're getting some sort of representation. Um, uh, I mean, growing up, I have always tried to incorporate El Salvador or just Central America in general and anything. I remember in high school for any assignment, for any classroom, I would always, yeah, I would always try to incorporate El Salvador somehow. If we're learning about biology, I would say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, we have this so-and-so in El Salvador. Or if it's like history, I would always want to learn about the history of Central America and the Civil War or, you know, just every, anything like that. Um, but once I left San Pedro, after I graduated high school, I moved to a different town. And here, um, there's not too many Central Americans, but I, there is a large um, Asian Pacific Islander community here. So there was a totally it's a totally different community, but I also love it. And through and here and there, I've been able to meet Central Americans as well. Mostly, again, Guatemalans or Hondurians now. Um, I've only been to El Salvador three times. And in those three times, they have been very emotional for me. The first time I ever went, I think I was around seven or eight years old. And I just, what I really remember is seeing my great-grandmother from my dad's side. I remember staying a lot in San Miguel, where that's where my dad is from San Miguel. I remember the heat. Oh yeah, I remember the heat. <laughs> um, I also remember the volcanoes. I remember the view, you know, those majestic views that we have. Uh, the second time I went to El Salvador, I... I was in middle school, so I believe I was 13 or 14. And that trip was also memorable because I also got to reunite with my with my dad's side all over again, along with my mom's side. My mom's side is from La Paz. Um, and with that trip, I remember <laughs> that one was emotionally emotional for me different just because I was a, like I was in I was in a really awkward stage, so I feel like the second time I went, I didn't really get to appreciate it as much as I should have. But the my third trip and my latest one so far, I went in 2015 and 2016 during the holidays. This trip was definitely the most emotion has been the most emotional thus far. I got to reunite with family, but I also got to say goodbye to family with the increase of gang activity you know i never know if this will really be the last time i get to say goodbye to like my extended family over there but again i fell in love with the majestic views that we have the beaches um this is where i got to learn more about our culture this was also the time that i was really curious about my um, father's side of the history, father, my father's side of the history, um, um, I come to discover, you know, like my dad's hometown in San Miguel once had a large African population, and to me, it just started connecting 
everything together. And I started realizing, wow, okay, this explains why I tended to look a little bit more different than my Mexican friends growing up. But, but it was fulfilling, emotional, inspiring, all that good jazz. <laughs> um, but through my page, Central American Art and Beauty, I feel like I've been able to I've been able to um, really connect with the Salvadorian community more than I ever have growing up. This uh, this page has been able to like connect me with so many people, but more importantly, it's gotten me more proud of who I am. You know, not to say I was never always proud of who I am, but now I see us forming an identity here in the states and. It really makes me excited to see where we're going to go in the next few years. But it also makes me kind of a bit nervous just as, just because, you know, I'm scared of how <laughs> um, outsiders will perceive us. But, you know, it's whatever in the end. As long as, you know, these platforms are, are created by us, for us, then I think we should be fine. Um... I hope to return to El Salvador pretty soon. I, I've i been actually wanting to go back for around August because August there's this, I don't know if many know, but the month of August is actually recognized now as the Mese Afrodescendente in El Salvador. And during the last weekend of August, there's two, a two-day um, like celebration of Afrodescendientes from the from the country and from neighboring countries that come and celebrate and recognize this erased history. So if I ever do return to El Salvador, definitely I will go around August. Um, plus, you have the fiestas Agustinas and all that. Uh, I re I remember from what I remember growing up here in San Pedro, um, there's not a lot of Latinx representation here. There's a lot. Uh, I mean, even though there was not a lot of Latinx representation here, I feel like in one way or another, I that's always made me appreciate my culture way more because a lot of people don't don't didn't know nothing about Salvador so I was able to give them a little brief history lesson or let them know and typically it was always the non-Mexican kids who who were always interested about you know where my family's from they're like oh well what makes what makes Salvadorians different from Mexicans and I would tell them and they would be like oh that's awesome um but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you again to everyone who submitted their stories. Thank you, Clelia Rodriguez, the founder of Stories from El Salvador. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this, please let us know on Radio Nojodas. If you're interested in submitting your own story, you can submit your stories to storiesfromelsalvador.com. You can choose to either write them in English, Spanish, or in Spanglish. And you can visit them on social media at Stories from El Salvador. If you're interested in hearing another episode like this, please submit your stories, your voice memos to us 
that can be either to Stories from El Salvador or to Radio Nojodas. Thank you again to everyone. This was an amazing episode. I loved hearing everyone's story, and I hope it brought a lot of joy to the listeners. And I just like to say that I think it's extremely important that we continue to share these stories because they're amazing stories and we're hearing them directly from our people, from our community, and they're heartfelt stories, they're personal, they bring a lot of joy, they're sad, you know, they're everything that makes us us. So thank you, Stories from El Salvador, thank you, Clelia, for this platform. I think it's amazing that we continue to put this work out there because we need it and it's been long overdue. So thank you again to everyone for tuning in to Radio Nojodas. We're going to end this episode with a song by A.R. Ferdinand. A.R. Ferdinand is, a, is an artist from El Salvador and here's his latest single which is On My Mind. You can listen to more of A.R. Ferdinand's music on Spotify or YouTube. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Stop.